Handy History Teaching Tips, blogs in a conversational style. Handy History Teaching Tips are conversational podcasts designed to help history teachers with tips, examples and ideas about history teaching. Sally Thorne, that's me, is a head of department and senior examiner. Helen Snelson was a head of department and now trains history teachers. Between us, we have more years classroom history teaching experience than we are going to admit here. Both of us regularly write resources and present at conferences. We are proudly history specific and practical in our approach. Our hope is that this podcast will become something of a problem page for history teachers. Think of Helen and I as your agony aunts. If you're wrestling with something particularly tricky and need some help, drop us an email at handyhistoryteachingtips at gmail.com or tweet us. I'm at Mrs Thorne and Helen is at Snelson H. And we will see what we can cook up between us. This episode is part of a series explaining the meaning and scope of the disciplinary concepts in school history. And this episode is all about change and continuity. Hi, Sally. Gosh, there's been fabulous, fabulous theorising about this disciplinary concept and um, this term's teaching history, June, uh, the What's the Wisdom On is going to cover this topic with eventually its accompanying um, podcast. Mm. So um, lots and lots of rich goodies on this uh, concept uh, launching our way. So I think while we chat, let's come at it, shall we, from a slightly different angle and think about what has worked in our classrooms in order to elaborate on the concept itself and perhaps unpack a little bit as to to why certain things have worked. I'm hoping that might be helpful to people. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's such a rich topic to talk about, isn't it? It's that that you could talk about it for ages. I I feel like we say that about all of them, but really it's so multifaceted Um, and we need to think, you know, when we're thinking about what we teach students about change, it's not really just explaining why the change happened um you know and sometimes why it didn't so why why things stay the same but also you know you've got these like you've got to teach them about the pace of change and the nature of change extent of change what sort of change happened um how was it experienced by people at the time um how historians judge it with hindsight and and thinking about how they talk about it there are so many different ways to come at it it is one of my absolute favourite things because it's so juicy. <laughs> yeah, masses of things to talk about. So where should we start? Let's start with a tabard. Oh. Um, honestly, as part of my toolkit for teaching about change, uh, the tabard has long been in there. Um, I think the first time I ever saw Ian use one, I was actually just blown away by its um, apparent simplicity, but really powerful um, ability in, in you know, a good teacher's hands to to bring some really deep thinking. Um, I've seen Ian use them so many times to great effect, and I've just magpied ideas all over from yeah. him. Yeah, well, and just, just before you launch into examples of, of how you can explain change using tabards, I think it's really important to note that, you know, that there's there's some really good pedagogy that underpins that. They are a great way to work with chronology um, and without really good chronological understanding and um, students grasp of change is, is just going to be really weak. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's so important. As ever, these concepts are so interconnected and, and Ian just always just got that. I mean, I go back to his thinkinghistory.co.uk website, if you haven't been onto it for a while. He's still putting amazing stuff up there at the moment about um, the, the Middle Ages and the continuities and the changes and the chronology is all absolutely woven in there. Fantastic. But we also need to, of course, before I do launch in, explain what a tabard is. Um, it is for those of you that have not had the uh, uh, good fortune to see um, Ian 
and perform his tabard in a, in a conference, his tabard routine. It's a deliciously low-tech piece of sugar paper with a hole cut in it so that it can be slotted over a pupil's head when it's folded. And you can have lots of these with lots of pupils and you can then write names or centuries or whatever on the front of the tabard and lo and behold, you can move the child around a room. It's, um, yeah, can be done pretty much anywhere. You've got some space even social yeah. distance space yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as long as you write it on big enough they can be as far apart as you like and <laughs> um, yeah one of my favorite uses for them is is um we use i use them uh, for a revision lesson where we recap the different strands of the medicine course um at the towards the end of the the unit um so each each of my tabards would have a different century on it and students then have to stand at different heights to show how much change there was in their century um according to to kind of ideas about the cause or treatment or prevention so those are the, the three strands in our unit um so some of them will be kind of sitting on the floor some of them will be standing up on tiptoe i've got a little step in the classroom some of them might stand up on the step so that they can show that there was lots and lots of change um, and it's just quite a nice interactive way of getting them moving and, and thinking hard mm, i think you're right for those thematic long sweeps of time connecting the the the, the thinking um getting at the big picture so i love the one about when was it best to be a germ in relation to medicine through yeah. time which actually you stand them all up with the centuries on their chests and you start to see at what specific point in the big sweep of the story change starts to happen in relation in this case to to germs and um being on top of them although we might be rewriting that one of course <laughs> um but another one um that you can ask what centuries was the four humours current and that's interesting because essentially it's getting at continuity because you suddenly look along the line and think oh my goodness for most of the centuries that we've studied the theory of the four humours was really really a big thing yeah um you know even though it's uh, it's then completely debunked yes yeah um I, yeah and I, I think that's that's really interesting to look at that continuity um and I think you you can do that with things kind of like when did when did women get the vote you know thinking about about what goes before that um and you know also thinking about kings and power so if you think about medieval kings um and and how their power is um changes over time well there's there's not masses to say so um that's a, a really nice use of your tabards as well i think yeah, I think that's right. And, and even across that whole sweep as well, just how late it is that, 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 that the idea of anybody but the kings are the most wealthy having lots of power. Um, again, extraordinary continuity. Um, yeah. That can operate as well, I think, within um, an event, within a story. Uh, really, really powerful to, I think this is another Ian idea, to sequence Henry VIII's lives and be quite fierce about the gaps between them. So it's putting um, uh, child number one as uh, Catherine of Aragon in 1509 on the on the left hand side of the classroom and then obviously child number six as Catherine Parr in 1547 at the right hand side of the classroom but then sequencing them uh, appropriately and it, it's extraordinary when you do that it's very powerful because immediately mm. you can see that Henry is married to the same woman for 20 odd years which is as long as a lot of kings ever reigned yeah um and as soon as you see that you think oh my goodness we're we're unpacking all sorts of things here the fact that we're, we're going from uh you know one wife to six wives in a in a much shorter space of time um and that that raises interesting change questions it looks at, uh, at, at um yeah just that some of the some of the the pace of change and starts to say well you know what's going on here yeah. i did it with a-level kids as relate as uh, also in relation to the sequencing of um 
the events of 1789 with the French Revolution, because again, I found it was quite important to actually look at some of the spaces because you get these incredible sort of um, periods of massive activity, sort of end of June uh, 1789 to middle of July 1789. Then there's a little bit of a lull till you get to August and then there's another lull to October. And, and I found it was very important for them to see that 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 spaces uh, between the between these these great moments of intense change. Yeah, and I I think it's uh, this reminds me of a conversation that um, I had um, with on on again on Twitter a few um, weeks ago, which was about um, why do events in the uh, French Revolution seem to always happen in July? Um, and I think if you <laughs> if you've got good sequencing, then you can you can spot those. You can spot those patterns. You can say, well, you know, and then it gives you to ask those questions. Well, why every year does something happen around about the same time? So I think it's, you know, it is really important. I had a um, a big crisis of um, of confidence about timelines in the early part of my career because it was just so difficult to get students to draw them. And I thought, well, maybe they, maybe they don't need to be scaled. Maybe they can just kind of space their uh, events out equally along a line and that that is good enough but it really isn't um it's it's worth persevering with that pencil and that ruler um because i think it's really important that um they it's just they're doing it to scale because then it's a very visual way of demonstrating kind of pace of change really um and when it really starts to pick up yeah yeah so moving away from that sort of um, aspect of change a bit, just actually sort of starting to move on to thinking about how change was experienced uh, by people at the time and the diversity of responses to change, which I've always felt was really important for, for kids to, to, to grasp. And again, we're stepping beyond just teaching change here, although change is, is, is part of it. But things like, for example, in relation to teaching, um, I used to teach year seven about the consequences of the Norman conquest and was always very keen uh, to pick up um, not only what the changes were, but who was feeling them most keenly. Mm. Um, and so there's obviously a geographical aspect to that, because if you're in the north and you're harried, that's rather different than being in the south. Um, there are issues in relation to its uh, class and wealth and status, because if you're an Anglo-Saxon noble, you've potentially lost more than a than than a peasant as long as you went in the north. Um, and and so connected and within that, there's this positive negative change. And I used to um, have one activity where it would naturally flow out where kids would take a, a talking head and they would they would almost write the the thoughts of a talking head in in 10 80 five, six sort of time. And one of them would be a, a, a stonemason, an Anglo-Saxon, who, of course, it had been pretty much bonanza time after the initial shock because they're building all these cathedrals, those jobs. Um, and and then somebody else in the north and, and somebody else from a wealthier family to, to get across this idea of both a diversity of experience of change, but also of positive, negative change, but also a different differences of opinion about whether it had been profound or less profound um, and I think that's important um, yeah. for kids to really sort of start to get into both from a demo teaching for a democratic society point of view as well as good history. Yeah yeah and I um you've made me think of Ian Mortimer's novel which I can't remember the name it's some it's not Prisoners of Time but it's something similar to that and it's it's Outcasts of Time maybe it's these this um this pair of uh, uh stonemasons who um catch the black death and they bargain so they have six days left to live but they have to live each day and 99 years later than the last one um so really it's just a way of ian mortimer showing off his absolutely encyclopedic knowledge of different different time periods so they kind of wake up and it's it's now 1448 and then it's 
it's 1547 and so on and 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 kind of it really shows you know for for these people living in this situation how was it different to live 100 years later was it massively different or was it you, you know because certainly I think if you're living in the black death you know you're living through that it would have felt like an absolutely catastrophic change but when we look you know when we look over a long period of time it may actually black death is a bad example because obviously that was an absolutely enormous change because so many people died but you know there, there may be other events that feel seismic when you're um going through them but they don't really lead to long scale long-term change yeah um, interesting and I think the, the other thing is thinking about like extent of change and, and pace, you know, for historians, we tend to think, gosh, that changed, that thing changed really quickly. And when we think of religion um, in the Tudor era, we tend to think, oh, gosh, it just turns really, really quickly. And, and now you turn around and, and it's it's a different religion again. But, you know, it's when you're living through that, it's potentially doesn't feel so quick you know um you know we've been living through three months of lockdown and that has felt like three years so (laughs) you just have to imagine that in at the time perhaps it felt like it was you know it wasn't so quick so I I tend to ask students you know they're like oh well it was a really quick change because they were you know strong Protestants for six years I say where were you six years ago you know, say this to my year 13s and they're like then they get all nostalgic oh where was I oh, I was in year seven. Oh, life was so easy <laughs> <laughs> yeah that uh, perceptions of time it's absolutely fascinating stuff and you need to get into all that if you're going to under if you're going to really sort of start getting under the skin of change don't you and I think uh, as with so many things as well we need to to teach them language to describe change and I can't believe we've got this far through the chat without mentioning Rachel Foster who is the <laughs> goddess of of the arising change um and she uses metaphors so brilliantly um, to the fore uh, with all ages and enabling them to think about whether they would describe change as volcanic as a metaphor or, or, or glacial or is it change that erodes or like a, a coastal erosion or is there an explosive uh, nature to the to the change um, and then of course where she takes it even further in teaching history 131 um, when she uh, worked with her year nines on a roadmap of change and got them to um, I'm sure lots of lots of people listening to this have used mm. used this wonderful example of of getting kids to think of the the change journey as a roadmap and decide where there would be bumps and turns and humps and signposts and and it's absolutely gorgeous idea because it, it's really enriching for for kids who maybe you know find it harder to write a load of prose for you but have got lots and lots of thinking and ideas going on and it gets straight into um uh articulating that that uh, that sense of 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 change and gives them yeah. a, a way of conceptualizing it absolutely lovely Another one I really found very, very helpful was to start to actually talk to kids about blocks to change. So I've always been a bit worried about how um, kids, particularly GCSE and A-level, would still be giving fairly lame answers about why women, some women got the vote in 1918 and say it was you know, because of World War One. It's like, well, not really, um, because, of course, the whole thing about... Um, uh, most of the women who'd given most of the war service aren't actually the women getting the vote and you've got all that aspect. So I started going down the, the line of stopping and saying before we did the uh, impact of, of of the war on that story, why had women in Britain not got the vote by 1914? So what were the blocks to change that were still in place? And at that point, they can 
easily identify that, well, you've got this block of the prime minister, which is a, a massive, massive block. You've got mm. a block of electoral advantage. You've arguably got a block of a, a government not being able to lose face in the in the in the um uh, face of violence and they can see that and then what you can do is say okay those are our blocks that we've identified and then you can do the war story and then actually say okay where what's happened to our blocks and they say ah oh, the prime minister's changed and we've got Lloyd George and he was for ah oh, um, the suffragettes have suspended their violence and there's a threat of reassertion but that's different and, and I found with GCSE and A level it, they got so much more sophisticated by having a look at the change that way by looking at the blocks and then almost metaphorically removing the blocks from the road yeah that's great because we've got to you've got to remember haven't you that that continuity is the flip side to change and you can't you know it's just as important to talk about that why did things stay the same um and and thinking about those you know particularly when change is is um is wanted is desired by large groups of people why didn't change happen and i think that it's really important to kind of teach the right language for that as well you know you've got you've got different types of continuity i mean you, uh, is it stagnant um is it is it kind of un, just stuck or is it comfortable is it is it is it a situation that everybody's happy with is that why it doesn't change and um so i think yeah the language is is absolutely key isn't it yeah no completely so what are your favorite questions well, I've been uh, for a couple of years now, my department have been teaching this change in continuity study in year eight. Um, well, that's really more having said that about continuity. It's more about continuity than change. Um, and the big question is, is a really long question is why was the theory of four humours so tenacious, even though it was wrong? Mm. Um, and it's essentially a pre-medicine study that lets us teach all those good fun bits of medicine that aren't in the GCSE anymore. Um, <laughs> but it also gives us this really nice insight into ancient societies, Islamic medicine and kind of Islamic centres of learning. Get a bit of Alexandria in there, the medieval church and the Renaissance. I am dying to teach year eight. I haven't had year eight. Oh, yeah. Year. Like, can so, I come and do that? That sounds yeah. brilliant. <laughs> fingers crossed they'll be on my timetable next year I can actually deliver these lessons for once it's yeah fantastic and and changing continuity of course as with other uh, disciplinary concepts doesn't just feature when it's full square the major topic of a full historical inquiry question journey does it oh yeah absolutely I think it's also really possible to do change um, change over time quite quickly in bridging lessons and I heard um, Elizabeth Carr talk about this at the West London Free School Conference a few years ago and she talked about how she does mini inquiries that, that are one you know a one to four lessons something like that so she just just to kind of bridge a gap between two other units so the one that I really liked the, the one that sticks in my memory is toilets through time you know you don't need to labor that point but it is something that you can learn about change in in people's circumstances by looking specifically at that topic yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Ruth and I did um, one in relation to um, Ruth Lingard and I on disability across time as well, which mm -hmm. is on the York Leo site. And that was, again, a sort of sense of setting them up for some thinking that would be relevant to medicine through time, but also using it as a vehicle to introduce change across a, a lot, a long period. Yeah. Mm. Mm, so what are you keeping with yourself occupied with this week, Sally? Well, do you know, this is going to sound really nerdy, but what I what I found is that I'm getting a little bit stagnant in my thinking. So I've gone back, I've been looking through old issues of teaching history and reading articles that I haven't, poss that I possibly never read um, because, you know, I never managed to read the whole thing cover to cover when it drops on the mat, except December. I'm usually quite good with that issue. <laughs> so I've been loving it. I've been really, I've gone all the way back to 2002. I was look I was reading last night. So obviously there are many issues before that. I've got many weeks of reading ahead of me, but I have really enjoyed doing that. Mm. 
even though we're so busy because the time's more flexible history teachers are just rocking it aren't they and this yeah the stuff that's dropping from the curricularium this week i am just loving it and it's just making me think so much those people are so clever and the virtually history team as well i've just been listening to their podcast and thinking you know oh thank you for this wonderful subject community which you know keeps us sort of um fresh and thinking and uh yeah, really oh, virtually, the... yeah, virtually teachers. Is it virtually, virtually teachers? That's right. Thank you. Not virtually <laughs> history. Virtually <laughs> teachers. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry no, I, I just yeah, and they're definitely on my list of things to pick. I can't. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to kind of engaging with that. I think, just think these people are so brilliant and they're so generous with their time. It's just really lovely to to be able to access that in these yeah. weird times. Well, right. Good to see you again. Then enjoy it. Yeah. Take care. Take Bye. Care. Bye.